Senator Orrin Hatch, if you are owning the libs just to own the libs, your victory will be short-lived and your audience will remain small. Welcome one and all, you know, ladies and gentlemen and those who identify as non-binary. My name is Matthew Barber and the wonderful neoliberal- Morgan McIntyre. Your favorite neoliberal show. Yeah, and your favorite, I forgot what to say, but my, your favorite social Democrat in the world. Ever. <clears throat> Whoever Here, lived. Here's Stommer who, never heard of him. <laughs> exactly. Never heard of him. Anyway, welcome to the Down Bad Politics podcast. Today, we're going to do something we've been thinking about for a while. Ever since the first episode really? did. Ever since the first episode. Something that kind of, I feel like, is necessary to talk about in modern politics, and that is the future of our political system. More specifically, the future of the Republican Party. The good old, grand old party. Not the oldest party, ironically. The Democratic Party is older. In fact, it is arguably the oldest continuous, continually running, winning seats party in the world. The Democrats, not the GRP. Yes. Every other party has died. Federalist died. Never heard of them. The Whigs? Dead. American know-nothings? Dead. Exactly. not technically dead. <laughs> they have evolved. <laughs> we'll get into that during this <laughs> podcast. Because as we've seen, I think, in recent months, ever since Donald Trump lost, the GOP has kind of been in a bit of a wilderness, for lack of a better term. Because, you know, whenever you lose, whenever our party loses, there's always those, like, internalizing, navel-gazing, looking at what happened last time, trying to figure out what what went wrong. Because at the end of the day, you lost. So how can you win next time? And oftentimes, it's usually just that the party in power loses popularity, and so therefore the party in opposition just wins. But you got to develop a vision. You got to develop a vision for the future an idea. And so Matthew and I are going to talk about what we think the Republican Party is uh, going to develop that, what future vision the Republican Party is going to develop. Of course, we're also two liberal Democrats. <laughs> we are we're two partisan Democrats. <laughs> so if you're expecting a conciliatory, like, basically kind Republican response, no. No. One of us is going to take a massive shit on what the current shenanigans Republicans are doing. I mean, we're both going to take massive fucking shits on this, <laughs> on the incumbent Republican Party as it currently stands. Because as far as I'm concerned, to sort of preview where I'm standing right now, I'm probably the one out of the two of us that's most likely to vote for a Republican. The reality of the matter is, is I would never vote for a Republican as a Republican Party currently stands because the current Republican Party is, for lack of a better term, fucking insane. <laughs> yep. I can't. I can't reasonably vote for any Republican. There are maybe on like a local level, 
whether or not beholden to this national politics, sure. I'm pretty sure I have voted for, I'm like 100% sure I voted for local Republicans. But at the end of the day, they're not running for national office. They're not running for statewide office. We voted one Republican in my lifetime in a major uh, uh, office, and that will probably be it. Yeah, I think the last time I voted for Republican for anything above local city council was in 2014. I was just like being ironically super petty about one Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Gavin Newsom. Oh, we, talk about whole, him. we may, but more specifically, if we're going to talk about him, I would more rather focus on the actual recall because that is just a fucking shit show. Oh, we got to do an episode on the California thing. We're doing a recall episode. We are. It's because at the it's looking like it's gonna. Ha- well, I'm 100 certain it's happening at this point. But I digress to sort of transition this back into the primary topic. The reality of the matter is, is that the Republican Party lost. Many in the Republican Party have not accepted that they lost, but they, they did. Lost. They did. And I, you, you know, I've said on the onset that I'm a partisan Democrat. Mm-hmm. I own that. Yes. And if you're a Republican who believes that you didn't lose, obviously you're not going to believe me when I say that you lost. Yeah, you lost. So let me, let me just say, as someone who also analyzes election data, someone who also looks into these sorts of things, politically speaking, the Republican Party lost. They lost. There's, there's no evidence of voter fraud. There is no evidence that there was this mass conspiracy to steal the election from Donald Trump, <clears throat> despite what Fox News might tell you, despite what Newsmax, Breitbart, whatever, insert, oh, insert conservative news media here, insert conservative News icon, Sean Hannity, Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson, Ann Coulter, Candace Owens, Dennis Prager. Rush Limbaugh when he was alive. Yeah. Because he is, in fact, dead. Yeah. (laughs) And millions of Americans silently rejoiced <laughs> yeah fact rush limbaugh is a fucking piece of shit yeah rush limbaugh is a particularly vile human being yes and look if you're offended by that i can understand you're entitled to feel offended by what i said what matthew has said you're entitled to that at the end of the day we are also entitled to our views of people and we are entitled to speak our views of people as far as i'm concerned i fucking hated rush limbaugh i am glad that he is dead and i do not want to martyr that man under any fucking circumstances so regardless that's a sidetrack let's get back onto the main point the reality of the matter is is that the gop is still a major political party there's not going to be any Patriots party. There's not going to be any country first party as much as some Republicans might think that it might happen. And I'm kind of even iffy on that one. But the reality of the matter is that for the foreseeable future, the Republican Party is the party of opposition. It is the other party in our two party system. And 
now we're going to talk about what we think the future of the Republican Party is. I wanted there to be a split. I know you did. And there was a part of me that wanted it too, but I highly doubted it was ever going to happen. Yeah. So, Matthew, let me ask you. What do you think is going to be the future of the Republican Party? What do I think the future of the Republican Party is? I think the Republican Party, two things could happen, or three, maybe four, maybe five. I don't know. I'm spitting. Maybe all the things. (laughs) Yeah. Either one, a split between the Trumpist people and those who are like the anti-Trump the anti-Trump people just split away. Mm -hmm. Number two, they can go in a way like the Democrats did back in the 90s after we got our asses handed to ourselves three elections straight. We decided with old Slick Willie. Ah, boy. (laughs) Billy Jeff Clinton. Yep. We can just go, they can go there and have a Whatever the new the Republican equivalent of a new Democrat, a new Republican, essentially, essentially. <laughs> um, oh man, I forgot. They keep going what they're going, what they're doing, and just failing, or they just die out. Okay. Do you want to expand upon any of those? Oh sure, 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 sure. Like, let's say if they go the Bill Clinton route, they probably, yeah. like, they finally get, they finally get their head off their asses and mm-hmm. like ahead of, be of the times. And let's say, hey, we support LGBTQ plus rights. Yeah. Which so far, it's probably not going to happen because if you look, you're not a, a knowing person. And if you look around the news about state legislators and about a certain group in the LGBTQ plus community. They have been targeting trans people very harshly in recent months. (laughs) And especially young trans people. Yes. Even to the point where one of the people running for governor has said that she does not want young trans girls to be on girl sports. Right. Yes. Trans woman. Yes. I forgot to say she was trans. She's a trans. To be clear, for people who are, you know, since Matthew's kind of jumping around this, Caitlyn Jenner recently made a comment about how she does not believe Caitlyn Jenner, a trans woman, a man who has transitioned into being a woman. uh, Better way to phrase that a woman who was formerly a man. Yes. Because she is a woman. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner recently made comments about how she does not believe that trans women, women who were originally men or started out as men, um, were born men, better way to phrase that, uh, should play in female sports, which is ridiculous and besides play. But back to your point about then moderating on issues. Yes. And maybe support legalization of the weed, basically. Mm-hmm. Because if you look, weed is legalization of weed. It's quite popular. It is. 
and you should get in that. You should even campaign more on it, saying we support. There is a there is a campaign message there for both being pro LGBTQ rights and being pro legalization and bring being pro these sorts of civil liberties things that sort of like libertarian esque conservative Republican, yeah. which is what I would imagine the quote unquote new Republican would look like. Yep, I think that there is certainly a market for that. Of course, I would just, be that Republican if I were still a Republican. Same. If I'm thinking about the Republican that I would support, it would look something like that. Mm-hmm. The reality of the matter is, and this we can start getting into my views on where I think the Republican Party is going, um, I, at the moment, do not think the Republican Party is fracturing. I disregard that. I don't think that's going to happen. Other than maybe some... Liz Cheney-esque conservatives breaking off, but it would be a minority of people at that, like a slim minority. <laughs> they would essentially be ejecting the last of the non-Trumpers. <laughs> I don't think the Republican Party is fracturing. I don't think there's necessarily going to be a libertarian-esque conservative taking over. <laughs> For me, what I see as the future of the Republican Party is essentially the continuation of for lack of a better term strongman politics because my view of the GOP and I've been really sort of delving into this for a bit I'm really looking at like the GOP at from a hundred feet view mm-hmm. um, the GOP for the Republican Party for a long time has been primarily focused on strength the Mm -hmm. primary uh motivating political view of things is if i were to boil it down to one sentence is he or she fights for us that's it it's not being pro-trump it's not being necessarily Mm pro-conservative there is certainly conservatism to it but it's the primary ethos is they fight for us that's the primary motivating factor. And you saw that in Trump in 2016. Donald Trump really framed himself as, I am a fighter and I am fighting for your causes. And Trump, owning the libs. Exactly. Fuck the establishment. Fuck everything else. I am fighting for you. Which is a little, which appealed to the Republican Party base because the reality of the matter is, is the base really does not um the base is a little for me the base is different than the the activist class of the gop the activist class is what we tend to think of when we think of these like more hardcore christian conservatives i would argue is more in that like hardcore christian conservative vein or even nowadays more nationalist vein of politics Whereas the average GOP voter is probably more of a moderately populist conservative in that they want low taxes, maybe more some things on abortion rights, <laughs> but they're fine with big government, but they're not going to want like Medicare cut, essentially. Whereas like 
a conservative activist is probably going to want some medic is going to be more like a Paul Ryan in terms of wanting medic cuts to Medicare. Yes. So the reality is, is Trump really appealed to that sort of moderate populist conservative in 2016. He did, he did a very good job at appealing to that voter. And unlike previous Republican primaries, there really wasn't any coalescing around sort of who the activist class preferred. Yes, there really wasn't. You could argue Christie, Rubio, Bush, Kasich, and Cruz all fit into, you know, supported, were supported by various factions of, that, of the activist class in the GOP. And there was never any coalescing around one of those candidates until the very end when it didn't matter because Donald Trump was basically on a steamroll to win. The difference is, is that between 2016 and 2020, Donald Trump became more of the candidate of the activist class. And as a result, I would argue alienated a lot of those populist conservatives, those moderate populist conservatives, by really steering into what all the activists are talking about, focusing on the sort of grievance culture of free speech, being excluded, which is certainly a thing within moderate the moderate populist conservative circles, but it's not the primary thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the main talking point. And so as a result, he won. I mean, he didn't win, but he won roughly the same amount. He did about as well as he did in 2016, but he wasn't able to expand the coalition that much. And I would argue that's because he became, he, he began to be viewed as more conservative because of those appeals to the conservative activist class of the Republican Party, as opposed to the moderate median pop, uh, <clears throat> the median voter, which is more of a that populist, moderate populist conservative vein. Yep. And so, well, just to summarize my point, I think that in the foreseeable future, a voter, a candidate who can Bill who can establish firm grasps within that moderate populist conservative voter block and then build out from there has the potential to not just win the GOP nominee, but then actually go on to win the election. And if I were to, you know, give my pitch as a Democrat to see to like, how could you beat us Republicans? It would be to do that, to appear more moderate than the people who are fixated on cancel culture to be more moderate than these. Yeah, maybe you're like fine. Like, how am I trying to say this? Like, you're not so wrapped up in fiscal conservatism that you're going to cut spending. You're not being so socially conservative that you're anti-LGBTQ rights. Essentially, you're sort of in this vein of like, well, I want everyone to succeed. Yes. But the problem is, is that a lot of a lot of candidates that I am seeing, and I think we're probably about to get into this, but a lot of candidates that I'm seeing right now in the immediate future are trying to replicate Trump 2020 as opposed to Trump 2016. But before we do, 
And Trump 2016, just a final period on my point, Trump 2016, when Trump was seen as more moderate, when Trump was seen as uh, sort of an aberration within the Republican Party because he was new, he was different than the sort of fiscally responsible neoconservative types or the Christian conservative moral majority types, that Trump 2016 is what the GOP should be focused on if they want to win. Yeah. And I don't see that in the force. And I don't see any candidate trying to do that in the foreseeable future. Yeah. But before we talk about these candidates, we must talk about our biggest issues with the Republican Party. Since Morgan has talked a lot, let me go through my grievances. Yes. <laughs> um, the biggest one for me is having a culture warrior um, you know, own the libs, mm-hmm. anti, you know, we're speaking against anti, you know, cancer culture and wokeness and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And doing a bunch of laws that aren't popular and are extreme. Because, you know, as we recorded this, I think yesterday, one person that we may talk about later, who's a governor of a state, signed a law that was very much voter suppression almost to the akin of Georgia's law. On Ron DeSantis. <sighs> my boy. Oh, Ron. Can, can you explain my feelings about Ron DeSantis, Morgan? Um, no, but I could explain my frustrations with him. Sure. I really just don't like the dude. I really don't. Because in much the same way as you're talking about it right now, I'm not a big fan of the focus on cancel culture and just the culture war issues, although I think that that's because I think that that's like the primary uh, because I think that the um, first of all, I think that that's just stupid. I think that this is a stupid thing to focus on. I don't think many people really at their core care enough about you know, deplatforming, Mr. Potato Head's gender. People's pronouns on... Pronoun, yeah. There's, like, really, it's just, to reference the quote that we started out with, it's just trying to, like, the activist class of the GOP right now, it's just trying to own the lips. That's their entire fucking thing. And it's, and cancel culture, the conversation within the GOP around cancel culture, to me, represents that that just attempt we're going to own the libs and we're going to be so amazing because we're owning the libs. And to Orrin Hatch's point, you're not going to win voters that way. You may win over, like you're going to get like lauded by GOP activists for sure, for sure. But at the end of the day, the average voter doesn't give a shit. The average voter is not going to care that, you know, Facebook is deplatforming people. Because there's an argument to be made that the people who are being deplatformed are beyond the pale in terms of like what even a like a moderate GOP voter would accept. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to be turned on. They're not going to be like excited and enthused by this argument about like we're fighting the cancel culture because it it's not it's not an appealing message. And to me, I'm just sitting here like as someone who's very tactical politically just like how are you this fucking stupid this is like me flashback to 2015 looking at the democratic party being like why are you guys going down this sjw route this is so stupid exactly 
And even though they're saying, oh, we, we must cancel the culture. We must cancel these corporations. We hate mm-hmm. this stuff. But through the history since the culture uh, revolution in the 60s, who are the ones who are usually canceling? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you go back to, like, <sighs> I forget what the exact name is of it, but essentially, like, anti-disco people were yes. mostly conservatives. Yes. The people who, you know, to be very blunt about this, the people who were standing in the way of civil rights were conservatives. Yes. Um, the people who have generally opposed the sort of the social movements born out of the new left in the 1960s in the Cultural Revolution tended to be conservatives. And I understand that they have issues about culture changing. I, you know, I get that the idea is you want to preserve culture and you don't want to change it too much. And I can understand that. The reality of the matter is, is that at the moment, it seems like the primary thing around conservatism is this sort of culturally conservative, this particular version of cultural conservatism. And a lot of that is represented in, uh, I mean, if you go back and look throughout history, there's a lot of examples of that particular cultural conservatism canceling people. I mean, who canceled NWA? Wasn't liberals. Who canceled? um, The chicks. The Dixie chicks. Who tried to make French fries into freedom, freedom fries, fries baby. because France wouldn't support our invasion of Iraq. And regardless of your opinion on the invasion of Iraq, when you're literally trying to change a name of a food and then you want to pretend like you are somehow these crusaders against cancellation. Who canceled Colin Kaepernick? Who canceled Colin Kaepernick? Regardless of your opinion on Colin Kaepernick, the reality of the matter is, is that the GOP conservatives, specifically conservative activists, did the exact same thing to Colin Kaepernick that they claim the left does to them. Exactly. I'm not going to pretend like the left. I'm not going to pretend like the left is, you know, innocent in this. No. But let's not pretend like the GOP is somehow the GOP conservatives are somehow like not innocent in this either (laughs) or somehow standing up to this yeah and speaking of the issues how basically issues that they say people try make people care about but they don't you know they say oh the boogeyman that is ctr (laughs) critical race theory yeah even though you don't know what the it is i know i can't even tell you what it is but I know it's not that. Yeah. It's very confusing. But I could tell you, I'd be like, I don't think that's what it is. Or the 1619 Project. Or yeah. whatever. But how they made this certain person in a video game or TV show or movie gay or this or that. Mm-hmm. Any more issues you want to talk about? That the GOP um, picks for. Let's see. We I think we tackled. I mean, voter suppression, anti-trans stuff, in indi- oh yeah, indifference to issues like racism and 
gun mm-hmm. violence and yeah and all that yeah and i mean to be fair there are plenty of conservatives that stand who do want to provide some sort of policy on this want to provide some sort of vision on this the problem is is that they're like take Derek chauvin for example mm-hmm. when like if i'm not mistaken it was like about 52 percent of republicans said that the trial was determined in the right way yes that's still a yeah, forty six percent. He said the trial was defined, decided in the wrong way. Like, I, there's a problem there. Yes. Like one of the things I can credit Trump for, and I can fully admit that Trump did well, was the first step back. I can fully admit that that yeah, was yeah, the first good, step back was good. That was good. That was good legislation. I will fully own that that was good legislation, and I think that that was something good that Trump did. The reality of the matter is, is that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of conservatives who are not going to support that legislation like that. Not necessarily because they're racist, but because they see moves like that as being somehow uh, inviting disorder, inviting, uh, it seems like a lack of strength. It seems like concessions to the liberals, to to the Democrats, because there is so much... Um, an issue, I don't know if you brought this, if this is on your list, but one of the things <clears throat> that I noticed about the G, that I've noticed about the GOP nowadays is it tends to be, it tends to define itself as being opposition to the Democratic Party. Yes. That essentially obstructionist. since obstructionists, but essentially since Obama, they've been, we are not the Democratic Party. Whatever the Democratic Party stands for, we are the opposite. The Democrats could say the sky is blue, they would say the sky is green essentially yeah and because things like criminal justice reform are so heavily championed by the democratic party mm-hmm. or police i could reform. police reform specifically i could see conservatives many conservatives not who aren't necessarily closet white nationalists or avowed white nationalists Seeing that as, you know, seeing proposing criminal justice reform, police reform as weakness, simply because it looks like you're caving to um, the Democratic Party, which unfortunately ties the GOP from actually being able to propose anything to address any of these solutions that I think even many Republicans could agree need to be changed. Yes. And also, even the people who are the slightest critical of Trump and making them into a martyr, essentially. As we've seen, I mean, we could have gone today with the news of the week, but since we were, it was going to be talked about, we do not know one Liz Cheney, mm-hmm. daughter of VP, uh, played by Oscar winner Christian Bale, Dick Cheney has been put herself in a little bit of hot water. Mm-hmm. Republican establishment. Did you know why? You know why? Because she criticized Donald Trump. She refused to acknowledge, or she refused to agree with Donald Trump that the big, the big lie that Donald Trump lost the election is real. Yeah. To be clear, Liz Cheney 
is not some liberal. She's not no. some closet moderate Republican. She is a conservative. If you look at her policy positions, she is a conservative through and through. She just happens to acknowledge that Donald Trump lost the election, that it was fair, it was above the board, there was no coercion, there was no, no stealing of the vote. But because she has acknowledged this and she has very publicly criticized this point, Donald Trump and many within the Republican Party who are trying to, who understand that voters like Donald Trump, their voters, uh, are <clears throat> looking to push them out, to push her out of the leadership. Yes. And replace her with one rather name. <laughs> I know what she is. Elise Stefanak. Yes. Who's not as even conservative than Cheney is. She really isn't. But she has been willing to toe the line. Whether or not she believes it, I don't know. But she does. She went on to uh, Steve Bannon's podcast and she very willingly towed the line with regards to the big lie, with regards to claiming that Donald Trump didn't. I don't, well, not going to put words in her mouth, but I don't remember exactly what she said. But she did. She was like, there was, we need to look into election integrity. We need to make sure that elections are fair and safe and protected and essentially focused on like, the Republican Party needs to work as a team. We need to be united, which again is all hitting against Liz Cheney and implying, you know, without actually saying her name, that Liz Cheney is being divisive, that she is dividing Republicans, that she is not helping the Republican Party, and essentially building the case that she is going to be a more uniting figure within the party. Yep. But at least Staffnack, at least Staffnack is going to be a more uniting figure, to be clear. Yeah, and also with other people like Mitt Romney. Also, we forgot to say Liz Cheney voted for impeachment and voted to certify the rules. And then Mitt Romney, former governor of Massachusetts, 2012 Republican nominee, Willard Mitt Romney. Current U.S. Senator from the great state of Utah, Mitt Romney. (laughs) Yes, that Mitt Romney. Voted twice, not one, not zero, but twice to vote to convict Trump, basically. And has been, was very vocal during January 6th, how this was you know, basically was bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. And also was looked like he was gonna kill one person that we may talk about later during the, mm-hmm. <laughs> he looked- Oh, we're gonna, I'm always gonna talk about him. <laughs> yep, I mean, I'm gonna talk about him too. But the face of Mitt Romney's face looked like a man who is either going to eat this person or is going to kill him. It's, it's Josh Hawley. Yeah, yeah. So there's a very famous picture of Mitt Romney looking like during the uh, One of after after the, after January sixth when uh, Josh Hawley was objecting. I believe yeah, I believe he was objecting to certain results. There's this very famous picture of Mitt Romney just right behind him, hovering over his shoulder just shooting death lasers into his eyes it's very funny it is quite hilarious look it up it's but regardless Mitt Romney was booed at a Utah Republican convention he survived being censured but he was still openly derided and booed 
by members of his own party. Of his home state? Of his home state. This is a guy who won Utah unequivocally. This is a guy who was the GOP nominee, who was seen by many people as the, as the future, who, if we're being honest, did better in the popular vote than Donald Trump. Yes. He got a larger share of the vote than Donald Trump. And yet, he was still booed by his own members of his party. How do you do that? What a character. At the moment, like I've said before, the activist class of the GOP is now very much pro-Donald Trump. And many Trump voters, many... Freudian slip there. Many Republican voters are very loyal to Donald Trump in terms of supporting him. So, unsurprisingly, the party is very much pro Donald Trump. Before we talk about the, our predictions, we must say the Republican Party is no longer the party of Lincoln, yes. no longer the party of Theodore Roosevelt. No longer the party of Nelson Rockefeller. One can make an argument it's no longer the party of Reagan. You could. Yeah. It is now the party of Donald John Trump. In terms of who they find as inspirational figures. Yes. To be clear. Because I think that there is a case to be made that it is still the party of those people. Reagan... Roosevelt, maybe not Roosevelt, but Reagan. Uh, Rockefeller. Rockefeller. Well, I don't know that much about Rockefeller. The point I'm trying to make is Reagan, Lincoln, and I'm blanking on some names. But the point of the matter, the point I'm trying to make is that there is an argument to be made <clears throat> that they just didn't support a lot of the what we would support necessarily, but actually that's not true. The point I'm trying to make is I'm thinking back to this video that I was watching about the pro, you know, about the conversation about abortion. And the person who was presenting the video made this point about how there is a very, there is a through line going from the GOP under Lincoln supporting being anti-slavery, being abolitionist, to being pro-life nowadays. There's a very clear line between that. And so in many ways, that's obviously why I would argue, I don't think you and I are necessarily supporting Lincoln or thinking that Lincoln is a great president for that same reason, Mm -hmm. I would argue, which I would argue is, you know, valuing human life primarily. Yes. You know, if I'm, I would imagine if you and I were to have a discussion about why Lincoln was so right about being ab- an abolitionist, it what it would be more of a civil liberties, pro freedom argument. Mm. Whereas, on the other hand, if we were two Republicans having this conversation, it would be a conversation about how he valued life, how he showed um, he uplifted people and empowered them. Yeah. So in many ways, it's, it is still that party, but 
it is not the way that I think a lot of people interpret what it means to be the quote unquote party of Lincoln. Regardless. Even up Reagan. Yeah. Even Reagan supported some stuff that would not be popular today. No, he didn't. Two examples. The dudes, and this may shock some Republicans and it may break their hearts. Well, maybe, well, let's say dudes have like raised taxes a good bunch of times. Didn't balance the budget. Never in his life. And he supported amnesty for undocumented immigrants mm-hmm. and supported an assault weapons ban. Yes, he did. And this was after he was president, but still, and was even very vocal in saying, I don't think an AR AK 47 is for self defense or a sporting. Mm-hmm. So Granted, there is, like I, the point that I made before, there is a way to argue that amnesty fits in that sort of abolition to pro-life movement. Yeah. But, again... Most, most Republicans now have a very negative... Do you have a very different view of amnesty? Yes. And again, I don't think any Republican is making the argument... Of how the argument for amnesty in the way that I think is very effective, as yep. I that I think would be effective, and I think in many ways that has to do with really a gra- more <clears throat> really the GOP continuing itself and becoming more prominent in terms of being the party of nationalism within the United States. But let's <laughs> move on anyway. Yeah, that's. To sort of summarize that point really quickly, because I don't mean like white nationalists, I'm trying to say like they're white nationalists or shit. I sort of have this general sense that uh, there's always been like a nationalist party in the United States. The GOP and its predecessors have been sort of a nationalist, the nationalist party of the United States that wants to strengthen the country. They're focused more on providing a stronger society whereas the democratic party and its uh, predecessors are a more populist party and that they want to fight for the people and fight for the little guy just to sort of summarize my view on that um the two parties regardless let's go on now let's do since the year is 2021 mm-hmm. as we film it three years from now it's going to be an election yes and um since what we assume, only assume, and pretty much hopefully all but confirms, Biden may run for re-election. He will most likely, if he keeps up and remains popular, he'll be run unopposed, unless a Tulsi Gabber comes out of nowhere, out of the woodworks. Yes. Realistically, he's not going to be opposed. Yeah. So the problem is they need to get some people. They need to get the best men and women they think are going to beat the big boogeyman that is Joseph Robin oh, Biden Jr. So how about let's do this? You give your list and then I give my list and then we kind of just go over it. Sure. All right. I'm going to 
I, since I am a, a good boy, a good uh, hit, uh, writer, I wrote from alphabetical order. Yeah. As you probably, as Morgan probably does, he'll just randomly have shit. Oh, no, there's a, there's a logic to my list, but I'll explain it when I do it. <laughs> okay, so, all right. One, we know him. We do not like him. Well, people in bad politics, we actually hate him. Uh, yes. He is a part of the news people. Part of what Jim Acosta said, the bullshit factory. Tucker Carlson. One Tucker Carlson. Not on my list. Okay. Uh, one governor. He's a former governor. He used to be governor of my mom's home state of New Jersey. Ooh. He ran for president in 2016. He did not do well. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder who it is. Oh, it's, oh, let me tell you this. It is one Chris Christie. Christopher Christie. Mm. Uh, He's on my list. Oh, really? Okay, we got another one. We got another one. We have one Southern uh, Senator. It's from the Deep South. He gives really big, like, the Confederacy was right in, in, in being in the Civil War vibes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one Tim, Tim Tom Cotton. I was about to say, were you about to say Tim Scott? <laughs> I would be like, really? You're gonna say Tim Scott is gonna argue that the Confederacy was right? <laughs> oh, he brought. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Uh, he's actually not on my list. Oh, really? Interesting. All right, next one. We have a senator. He was actually born in Canada. He was, he ran for president in 2016. Oh, really? Yes. He lost. He famously gave a speech during a convention, not directly endorsing endorsing the, the nominee. Donald Trump. Yes. But then in September, he became Trump's butt boy. <laughs> and has been ever since. Yep, and has grown an awful mullet and facial hair. It's one time Kennedy. Ten. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. And who Matthew supported in the primaries in the 2016 Republican primary? I will never understand you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he is he is on my list. Right. Unsurprisingly. <sighs> Next. He's one governor of the the state that has given the name of many men, many many men, Florida men. We oh, love we, we yeah he is he is one Matthew Barber is not a fan of him. He thinks he is just a wannabe Trump. Is one Ron DeSantis? Ron DeSantis. No, I definitely agree with you on the wannabe Trump because he really sort of tries to play up that. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk to go it. back. Yeah, no, I, there's just a point about him like really trying to play up Trump and yeah. Trump mentioned. All right, here comes we'll a wild card. It. He is a proud Florida man. He loves his girls young. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I we're gonna have to talk about this. This is just the joke of it. I don't think he's running, but I just want to just throw some chaos. It's one Matt Gates. Wow. Yeah, we're, yeah, I'm gonna need to hear your theory about this when we get to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, next one. She is the. Go- she was a governor of a southern state. She 
She served in the Trump administration and is a UN ambassador. Is one Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. And here's another one. I love uh, Mama's Milk. He was the man who, sh- who showed his fist to a raging crowd of insurrectionists while going to the Senate. He was a proud veto of every single Biden bill. Every Nearly every single one. Yes. And he was one of the most famous pers- people to not vote for the certification of the election. Is one Josh Hawley. Let's read it. All right. He is the pillow man, Matt Lindell. He is the governor of Matthew's home state and famously voted for a dead president, one Lawrence Hogan. Oh, Larry. Oh, yeah. Um, she was the, the figurehead of the Blexit movement, Candace Owens. She Black is the governor head. of one of the Dakotas, Christy Gnomes. A single Dakota. Uh, he was the Secretary of State, Matt Mike Pomp- Pompeo. Pompeo. Mike Pompeo. Yeah, Pompeo. Pompeo. He was a famous governor who may have been a homophobe or maybe secretly gay and was vice president to Donald Trump, Mike Pence. Another one. And the final one, Marco Rubio, who famously took a drink of water, like yours truly. Marco Rubio. So yeah, you had a significantly longer list than me. I just kind of went with, I'm going to very quickly go over my list (laughs) because that was a very long, uh, no shade. I understand, you know, you want how why you wanted to have the long list. My thought was just top 10. Who do I think is the most likely? Who do I not only think is most likely to run, but also most likely to win the GOP nominee? Okay. Sort of going in ascending order from last to first. Uh, Larry Hogan, last place. Josh Hawley, above him. Nikki Haley. Chris Christie. Uh, Mike Pence. Christy Nome. Donald Trump Jr., Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, last but not least, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. My assumption is that Donald Trump is more likely to be dead in 2020. That's not a bad assumption, but at the same time, this is a man who somehow manages to function on three hours of sleep. I don't don't put it past him to live into his, well into his 90s. Uh, I think you give him too much credit. Um, who you got that seven? Who's my seven? Um, Chris Christie. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. So let's discuss. Okay. Let's discuss. The reason why I put Trump as number one, and I feel like this needs to be like the starting point that we start, that we go from. Mm-hmm. Trump is still insanely popular within the GOP. Yep. Well over 50% of Republican voters say that they would vote for him. Well over. I think it's a solid majority. Mm-hmm. Verging on like two-thirds majority say that they would support him, vote for him again. And if I'm just thinking about like what I, what I would imagine the 2024 GOP primary is with Donald Trump, it's just going to be Donald Trump, and then a bunch of other people trying to take votes from him. So that's why I put him number one on my list, because if he ever runs again, he gets the nomination. I don't think he wins in a general election, 
Oh. But I think that he gets the nomination. Oh, if they follow my joke that I said a tweet that I sent Morgan, they will lose. <laughs> but that's understandable. You're, wait, what? Which tweet? <laughs> About if they Trump runs again and he picks a certain person as VP. I don't remember this tweet. <laughs> <laughs> The summary of my tweet is Donald Trump was on Candace Owens' podcast or something. Right. No, I don't know. Okay, there you go. But basically, to, for the people, so they understand where we're going, where we are going with this. Donald Trump was on Candace Owens' show. Uh, Candace Owens, famous active, famous, infamous conservative activist, I should say. Um, Candace, where she was, where he talked about I am really, he basically all but said I'm running for re-election. And then they, they kind of joked about like, oh, well, you know, what if I made you, you know, to Tim Trump to Candace, like, whoa, you know, what if I made you my running mate, best running mate, you'd be an amazing running mate. And um, I believe your tweet was about like how just trash that ticket would be. Yes. And basically saying it's essentially giving Biden four more years. Oh, for sure. I mean, if there's going to be one ticket, if there's going to be any ticket that I'm going to argue is going to be a shitty ticket, it's pick any two well-known conservative activists in the vein of Candace Owens, Tucker Carlson, um, who the fuck is Ben Shapiro? I don't remember the Charlie Kirk is who I was thinking of. Yeah, those kind of like Turning Point USA esque activists. Stephen Crowder. Steven Crowder. Essentially, these like hard conservative activists, hardcore conservative activists, um, they're very hard. They're so hard. Oh my God, they're like so hard. Where's my hammer? Boink, boink. Look, <laughs> I have simped. I will fully fucking get at this. I have, I have found Steven Crowder attractive and I emphasize Sound because it is past tense. The problem is Stephen Crowder basically meets the qualifications of the types of men that I find physically attractive. Mm-hmm. It's just, his personality is just so revolting that I can't find him attractive. Yep. Regardless, running a conservative activist in those people's vein, in, like in the vein of those types of people. Audit. I don't give a shit. You could fucking run Bernie Sanders. You could run a Bernie Sanders, Cory Bush ticket, and I would get, I would bet on that ticket over the fucking conservative activist ticket. Oh I mean, it would be close, and the conservative activist ticket could probably win, but I would still bet on the Sanders Bush oh, ticket. Yeah, I, I would vote for the Bernie Bush ticket, but jeez, I know. <laughs> All right, let's see the next person. Um, well, my next person who I said is like top was um, Ron DeSantis. And this, we kind of vaguely talked about this before, but um, he in many ways, the point that I was going to make before we moved on was um, Ron DeSantis in many ways is kind of trying to, he's one of those candidates that's really trying to replicate Trump 2020. The like, Strongman, populist, conservative. He's trying really hard. 
not necessarily the moderate populist conservative. Sort of this like very grievance culture driven idea of what it means to be, you know, standing up and fighting for the conservative movement as opposed to just sort of being like more anti-taxation you know necessarily arguing like hey we're gonna try and get the government out of your life except in these instances where except if you're gay well no specifically what it is is that would be more in the nationalist populist conservative vein what i'm talking about is like the moderate populist conservative is more just like well we're gonna get government out of your life except in these instances where we need government to help you these very limited instances. DeSantis is more in the line of the like nationalist populist conservative that's like getting in there about voting rights, getting in there about police reform, getting in there about um, tech companies, essentially appealing to these conservative base voters, not even conservative base, conservative activist voters who oh, yeah. uh, we forgot to talk about. Republicans apparently hate corporations. I know. I know. They really, it's not even necessarily that they hate no corporations in general. It's that they hate very specific corporations because they view them as an infringement on their freedom. And it's specifically activists who are more uh, incensed by this, I would argue. Yep. There are plenty of GOP voters that are incensed by this as well, but I would argue it's not the overarching. Uh, thing that's uniting conservatives at the moment but because it is what a lot of conservative activists and big what's getting a lot of traction within the voting within the uh, uh within the media within conservative media a lot of these conservatives that want to like signal that they're cons like strong conservative uh strong men conservatives like Ron DeSantis are doing things related to uh, government intervention to appeal to conservative activists, conservative based activists. Mm -hmm. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I openly mock Ron DeSantis. Mm. Openly. Even the people that I know will name nameless. Just love them some Ron DeSantis for some fucking reason. I don't see the appeal. I don't either. I really think it's just because a lot of the people online who are conservative tend to be in that conservative activist sphere. And Ron DeSantis really is trying to be the candidate of conservative, current conservative activism, which, uh, what was it? Oh, even like people who are like, quote unquote, moderate Republicans, it was like, oh, I would go hard for Ron DeSantis. I think it's literally just hype. But anyway, I cannot wait till Ron DeSantis gets his ass beat in 2024 by Joe Biden. Like, um, yeah, no, he's he's definitely going two foos. <laughs> and, and I'm going to gloat about it, especially as other people I know who are DeSantis fans. But anyway. Um, if I ranked it, he'd be number one because yeah, much the wannabe Trump. He's even trying to gain weight like Trump. Is he? Yeah, apparently. 
I mean, I could buy that. I just haven't heard any stories about it. Yeah. I mean, it's not official, but there was somebody who's like, oh, he's trying to gain weight like Trump. That's really? interesting. All right. Your third. My third was Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Another the one. Yeah. He is trying to mimic Trump. But the other thing about Ted Cruz is that he, in many ways, you know, going back to 2016, he was a party of the activist class within the Republican Party. Very much, specifically the Christian conservative moral majority types uh-huh. within the activist class. And Ted Cruz, in many ways, has managed to present himself as a Trumpist very effectively. Very, and that's just because Trump and Ted Cruz is someone who is very good at pandering to people. And uh, I think it's very likely, you know, t- Ted Cruz is a smart is a smart guy. I don't put it past him to be like he was the second place in 2016. I think he could win. I genuinely think he could win because I think he has the capacity to be able to. Uh, really appeal to that sort of he could make the pitch of like oh yeah no I used to be a Trump I used to be anti-Trump but now I'm really not and I still support him and so I'm really going hard basically if Trump dies basically yeah you're really sort of riding on that I'm not you're very you're being very optimistic about trump's uh yeah i am but well that puts a very negative uh, light on optimism but you're being very you're you're high on trump dying i'm not i'm very (laughs) i don't think i am i i honestly think you need to labor under the the assumption naturally your starting point needs to be that trump will be alive in 2024 I think that needs to be everyone's starting point because I until he until he is dead, which and I don't know if the body, is. like in a movie, if, if you, until we see the body. If we see the body, if we do not see his face when he's dead, he's still running around. No, I'm not going. I as a joke, yes, but um, yes, as a joke. No, I there's a very real like, I think everyone everyone's natural assumption needs to be Trump is going to run in 2024. And until he is no longer on this earth or like very obviously says, I am not running. True. That needs to be the, that needs to be the baseline assumption. Now the fourth one you got, you got Don Jr. Don Jr. Which oh I would argue is kind of comparable to like your Tucker Carlson. The difference is... Don Jr. has done a better job at sort of being, uh, how am I trying to say, how am I trying to say this? Like he's been more, he's put more emphasis on like trying to get elected. Yeah. Whereas those like Carlson's, Owens, the difference there is that they tended to, their tendency nowadays is to, they're just like appealing to uh, conservative activists. That's really all they're trying to do. Yep. Whereas Don Jr., from what I've seen, has actually tried to like to go out and build a voter base. He's trying. He's trying. You and so that's what. 
I don't know. I would honestly give him a very good chance. Do Trump people go hard for Don? Yeah. I could see it happening. Because he does posture himself in a very similar way to his father. And so I could see him attempting, if he runs, it depends on who he's up against, which is why I don't rate him in my top three. But I do give him a very good chance because he is very similar to his father. And in, in the way that he presents himself politically. And so I think that he could actually have a very good chance at running or doing well in a primary. And then you got Gnome, as we both know. Who is, she's another one, like DeSantis, who's trying to sort of be this uh, nationalist populist type really trying to appeal to conservative activists like it's it's really not that sh- that shocking to me that DeSant that after trump it was desantis and gnome who got high marks at cpac which is known for being essentially conservative activist central because they're really trying to appeal to those voters specifically all right mike pence yeah mike pence um I think if he wins it, he actually has a very good chance of winning in a general. My question is whether or not he can win it. Pre-January 6th, I pre-January 6th, I think he had a very good shot at winning. But post-January 6th, he doesn't. He has a chance. He has a better chance than say you're like Larry Hogan's who are to sort of skip ahead to Larry Hogan, who's like super emphasizing bipartisanship. And that's how they like frame themselves as a moderate. That's in the modern context of the GOP. I don't think that that is what bipartisan means. That's what moderate means. Moderate means that you are in many ways a conservative. You're just not as conservative as the more activist class. It's very similar to the Democratic Party in that like, the modern, the median Democratic voter is not as liberal as the activist class, which tends to be more in line with like a Sanders or a Warren type. Mm-hmm. Like me. Like you. Yeah, the average Democratic voter and the average GOP voter are much more moderate and towards the middle than the av- than their average activist class, their average activist class um, partisan counterpart and so pence could theoretically do well by pulling in he could try and position himself in some ways as a moderate in that vein of being like well i am a conservative but i've kind of broken with the party on some issues similarly to how trump did it in 2016 He's like, yeah, I'm a conservative, but I'm also going to break with the Republican Party on certain issues. The question is, is that you know Trump's way of breaking with the party was like more popular with the base, so that's why he's kind of low. So Chris Christie, as we both have it, mm-hmm. quick words for question. quick, quick, Chris Christie, Chris Christie, um, he he's very good at like the posturing around being a strong man essentially 
Mm-hmm. Because the reason they keep like bringing up strong men is like I said, you know, they're very, the GOP is very concerned about strength and standing up for what you believe. And so in, in that vein, I think that he could, he has the sort of natural posture of a good GOP candidate. I just question whether or not he can build a coalition. Yeah. All right, let's see who's next. Oh, I believe Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was in the next one. Um, she's another one where it's like, essentially these three, Pence, Christie, and Haley are all in the same vein of like, I think they're very good at posturing strength. The question is whether or not they can build a coalition and then build a moderate populist conservative coalition and then build out. Mm-hmm. And uh, our favorite senator from Missouri. Holly. Holly. The thing with Hawley is that I think he, for many years, I sort of naturally assumed that he would be the exact type of person that the GOP would want. The problem is he doesn't get good ranking, good ratings with the GOP nowadays. He really doesn't. And I, I honestly don't understand it. I'm trying to like think about it and I think you know what I remember I think I have I think I know I think I know what it is what is it there is this to go back to this point about like politicians trying to um trying to sort of mimic Trump there's this specific there's this thing that I've noticed where a lot of essentially elitist people are trying to paint themselves as populists. They're trying to don don the cloak of populism. I love it. And Josh Hawley is sort of exemplifies this. He is very much like, I I forget which school he went to, but it was like a Harvard, Yale type. One of them. He really sort of tries to paint himself as a populist. But compared to someone like Cruz, who comes from that same vein, but really does a better job at it because he actually will like, Cruz from what I've seen, he tends to try, like I've never seen Josh Hawley in anything other than a suit. Whereas I've seen Ted Cruz in like hunting gear. And while while Christy Nome isn't, you know, I've never seen her in anything other than like a very nice, the female equivalent of a suit. <laughs> um, she isn't like she didn't go to a like she didn't go to a Harvard. She went to essentially she didn't go to an Ivy League school. She went to a state school. Yeah. So tough. she's not she doesn't have that sort of elitist vein within her, and Josh Hawley in many ways does he kind of exemplifies one of the weaknesses I think a lot of conservatives have, and that is that they have this sort of yearning to be the establishment. They want to be the like established intelligentsia, academia. And I think Josh Hawley is really, you know, if I'm an armchair psychology, this guy, I think he wants to be that kind of person. Because I think he has that sort of vision of himself as like 
I am this in certain ways elitist who is like I am the elite, but I'm trying to appeal to populism too. Yeah. And so it's that conflict within him that I just think doesn't work. It's not that appealing because he's not trying to posture a populist image as much as really a Donald Trump is able to do, as much as a Ron DeSantis is, or uh, Ted Cruz, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and our final person on your list, my governor, mm-hmm. Larry, wait, Lawrence Joseph Hogan Jr., otherwise known as Larry Hogan. That really sounds like a wrestling name, but that's really only because of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, bound to the, the wrestling match. It's Lawrence Joseph R. Hogan Jr. I just, whenever I see Hogan, I just think wrestler. Oh, That's okay. just where my mind is. Of course. Oh, with Larry Hogan. Yeah. I mean, we've had some conversations about this, and I don't know that much about Larry Hogan, to be fair. I've gotten a sense of who Larry Hogan is. My problem is, is that, and the reason why um, Larry Hogan sort of falls into this vein of like these uh, Acela Corridor, New England area, Republican governors who have appealed to Democratic voters in the past to get elected in largely blue states. Mm-hmm. And the basically outside of Fox, the news media outside of Fox News upholds these Republican governors as like, oh my God, look at these, these like bipartisan, they're moderate, they're appealing to Democratic voters, they're reaching across the aisle and to the uh, to like the CNN crowd, the MSNBC crowd that is seen as moderate Republican. Excuse me. Like I've kind of hit on throughout this entire podcast, that is not what I view, or I would argue the GOP internally views as a moderate Republican. And so the reason why I put him last, like I kind of already mentioned, is because Larry Hogan's argument for being a moderate Republican is not what the GOP party. GOP, the, uh, the median GOP voter, I would argue, views as a moderate Republican. Yep. And um, we may say, like, his type of Republican may not win. Because we, if you didn't know, as what I said, Larry Hogan is a big fan of Ronald Reagan. Basically, you know, campaign, he voted for him, even though he was dead. There was like a campaign. It was not a campaign. It was a, some organization he's a part of, like an American United or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I quoted Reagan saying, well, you know, back in the 70s, you know, the Republican Party was dead, but then in 1980, they came back and blah, 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 and all that, and just like, you know, all that. And it's just like, I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. So you want to talk about my picks, basically? Yeah, like, let's, if you were to give your, like, Top five to top ten, I guess. I'll go top five. Um, is a Trump? Yeah. Uh, DeSantis. Uh, Pence maybe a third. Then mm-hmm. Cruz. Probably Nick uh, Haley after that. You know, the rest of them can just yeah look rough, I guess. So- Trump, DeSantis, Pence, Cruz, Haley. Yeah. 
just to be clear. And any names that stood out to you that you want to hear um, my defense? Um, no, only because I feel like their archetype is either covered by someone else that I've or that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. or they don't stand a chance. Of course. And I can't think of anyone who I was on that list that I would realistically think doesn't stand a chance. Mike Gates? You want to hear my defense of Mike Gates? Oh, yeah, Mike Gates. Why? Why? That was one where I was just like, I mean, I can see a case for it, but I'm curious if he's even going to be in, if he's going to be uh, a run. What, do you th- what is your theory? He gets convicted. Mm-hmm. He's in jail. Mm-hmm. And he is convinced he still has got a chance at life. Yeah. Even though his reputation is garbage, he decides to run a campaign in prison. Mm-hmm. And when they do the debates, they have like all the people there. And then he's going to have a video, a, a TV of his where he sits and basically gives arguments. And then he uh-huh. can, that is only my only thing. Not that I don't think he has ever has a chance. I just want there to be a TV. That is it. You just want to see Matt Gates in jail. <laughs> exactly. And, and see that on national television three nights in the year of 2024. Yeah, even beforehand, he's in jail for a good time. Let's say 2023, 2022, he's convicted, he's in jail. And yet he delusionally thinks, I could still make it. And he doesn't. Just like a lot of these things, Mac, Mike Lindahl, I just want to give him, I don't think he has a chance. I just want, you know, you know, I just want to meet him. Uh, yeah. And then the meme Tom, would be very funny. Yeah, Tom Cotton, because I feel like he has delusions of grandeur. Honestly, he's getting the shit out of me, basically. Oh, yeah. I think the thing stopping Tom Cotton is the fact that he is not a particularly... He and Josh Hawley are very similar in that, like, faux populist vein where they, where they come from elitist circles. They probably, on some level, want to be the elite, but they post, they try to posture populism and it is so bad. Yep. And their personalities are bland. That is also true. Tom Cotton, especially, is not a very uh, charismatic figure. <laughs> I, could out, these people. I could out charisma that motherfucker any day. <laughs> Dude, like Mike Pence, snooze. Yeah. Ron DeSantis, are you kidding me? Ron DeSantis is at least more energetic. I guess. I would argue he's at least more, I would argue he's more energetic because I've had, I've watched Ron DeSantis stuff recently and I would, for lack of a better term, there's a vitality to DeSantis. Every time I see him speak, I'm just like, shut up. No. I understand. I want him to shut up too. His voice at the same time. His voice is very nasally. Yeah, it's not even like nasally, and it's fun. Like some people have nasally voices, and you just like you're you're just endeared by them. Mm-hmm. It is, however, you're just like in my ear earbuds, basically. No. Yeah. But anyway. That was our list of people. That was our list. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's looking like it's not going to, I don't really, it's looking like the GOP really isn't shifting from these activist talking points at the moment because 
to go back to something we sort of talked about at the beginning that I was just thinking about, you know, looking at Caitlyn Jenner's interview on Sean Hannity. Ooh, yes. It really wasn't that different from your generic Republican. She's talking about building the wall. She's bringing up all these culture issues, culture war issues. Like, it's really not that different from a more activist-based conservative. And unfortunately, like, to kind of spill my hand on where I think the, the California uh, recall election is going, I don't think any, any of those Republicans could win. I mean, obviously. I don't think, I mean, there's various other reasons besides that, but if I'm just looking at it from an electoral strategy position, I do not think they can win specifically because, I mean, first of all, Caitlyn Jenner being a celebrity running isn't going to endear, especially Californians, to her. Considering we've had Arnold Schwarzenegger and we were not big fans of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be clear, Arnold Schwarzenegger left with a very low approval rating. What? He did. He, he left My with hero. about... I know. He left with about uh, the same amount, ironically, as Gray Davis, the guy he replaced when Gray Davis was recalled. That sounds heartbreaking. I know. It was about... It was mid-20s. What did he do? He was a shitty governor. <laughs> he was not a good governor at all. He really wasn't. But to this point, Californians were kind of, we're kind of, and it's not even like, because it's not even like he's a fun, interesting celebrity. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, regardless of his politics, is an interesting figure. He's a captivating figure. I don't give a shit about Caitlyn Jenner. I really fucking don't. She comes from this like, reality tv world and i look i love reality tv i'm not dissing on reality tv but there are plenty more reality tv characters i would find much more compelling and interesting in an electoral sense than caitlin jenner and to sort of broaden this out the rest of the california gop doesn't disagree with her I think the closest you can get away from like getting away from that sort of appeal to the activist base is Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, who has some moderate positions. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is, I think in the only poll that I've seen regarding, um, you know, who who people want to replace Gavin Newsom, he got he got like three to five percent. <laughs> He was not top of the list. Wasn't even close to like second place. Those are rookie numbers. Those are, then to be clear, no one got over 10% in that poll. So the problem is if we're going to talk about like in California specifically, if you, if Republicans have some sort of dream about potentially overturning Gavin Newsom and removing him from office, at the moment, that's not happening. He has a strong enough approval rating that he's most likely going to survive in a state with a fuck ton of Democratic voters where we, Democratic voters, are nearly double the amount of Republican voters and the Democratic Party can very fucking easily easily mobilize them by essentially painting the Republican Party as the party of Trump 
and they are trying to overturn an election. It is literally that simple. And also Newsom is doing well with COVID right now, I guess. He is. California has the lowest rates for a reason. And regardless of Newsom's other failures, which certainly exist, that unless that changes, I think he's going to be fine. I really think that's going, I think he's going to be fine. Because to that point I made earlier about Arnold Schwarzenegger's approval ratings compared to Gray Davis's, Gray Davis was in the fucking red there. He was in a bad position where he had like maybe 28% approval. Newsom's got like 54. At worst, mid 40s, high 40s. So, so what we're saying here is, Galvin Newsom, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to be you're fine. Still, you're going to be fine. I think, I think they know that. The yeah. argument I would make is that they're still concerned because if a Republican wins, if for some reason not enough people turn out and more conservatives turn out and vote against to re, or vote to recall Newsom, that is going to be a fucking talking point for the GOP for the next three years. I guarantee you. Even though, to be clear, come 2022, whoever that nominee is, is out. <laughs> if there, whoever, if, it, if for some reason, Caitlyn Jenner wins the, you know, it becomes California governor, she's out in 2022. Oh, yeah, for sure. It doesn't matter how she tries to moderate herself. She's out. It doesn't matter. Just like how, how my governor is a Republican. But come November of 2022... That dim is going to come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to this point, there is a real, you know, I would argue Caitlyn Jenner was in probably the best position to build out the coalition because she could have appealed to independents, Democrats, beyond just like these activist talking points of the conservative party and the republican party but the problem is she's veered into that and that shows to this broader point that we're talking about here where the gop base is that you've got to appeal to these specific talking points if you want to do well with gop voters sort of generally to sort of get the activists on your side and just sort of drum up support. But the reality of the matter is, is that, that it's going to just be difficult. Yeah. All right. So before we leave and we talk about shit piling about the Republicans, let's give three tickets of 2024, which will most likely happen. We'll say who they are. We may give an explanation. We may not. So uh, let's go for me. Uh, number three, Mike Pence as the nominee for and with Nikki Haley. One, um, DeSantis and Tim Scott. And one, which is personally my favorite because it's going to be most hilarious. Trump Owens. So how about you? Did you give your three? Yes, I gave my three. Oh, you're three again. I didn't hear the last one. Uh, 
Pence Haley, uh, DeSantis Scott, and I didn't hear your third. Trump Owens. Okay, so you're going for kind of the meme one. Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go... Cruz... I'm thinking, 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 thinking. Can't do Crenshaw because he's in this. He's oh, in the same state. They are in the same state. They are in the same state. Uh, I'm gonna go with Cruz. Uh, fuck it, Cruz Rubio. Fuck it. Cuban American tickets. Double down on that shit. Uh, <laughs> Cruz Rubio. Um, <laughs> Uh, Haley, like the two that you made, like DeSantis and Scott, I agree with, and Pence and Haley, and I agree with. Um, so I'm trying to pick like something else, but not also spoil my last ticket. Oh, uh, ooh, you know what? What DeSantis, Kim Reynolds, Kim Reynolds. Iowa. Fuck it. Why not? And finally, um, Trump, no. Yeah. I was thinking of like a, a DeSantis gnome ticket. Mm-hmm. I thought like Tim Scott being the VP. Yeah, I feel like Scott and Gnome are very good. If they don't run for the nomination, I think they're very good VP picks. Yes. Because regardless of whether or not uh women in Nome's case or black people in Scott's case vote for the Republican Party. It creates this perception that the Republican Party is accepting. Yes. Which to moderate voters outside of the party helps sort of counteract the narrative that the GOP has a, like like I've talked before has a race issue or an issue with race or an issue with gender yeah but that is what we got um our sincere hopes to you republicans that you just crash and burn keep doing what you're doing (laughs) honestly i kind of fear what happens if the republican party burns I'm not going to lie. You can hope for that. My honest opinion is if the Republican Party collapses in on itself, it'll be like opening Pandora's box. I do not know what fucking hell demons will be unleashed from that. I'm, I'm, and because I'm fucking imagining some Nick Fuentes looking motherfucker coming in and doing God knows what. Because there's going to be a lot of those, uh, nationalist voters they're gonna want somewhere to go and they are gonna rally around anything so i am genuinely fucking frightened about what that might look like and i'm not talking about just like oh we want to strengthen the country i'm talking about like Derek chauvin was wronged bigly nationalists (sighs) i'm fucking frightened about what that would turn into because there is a fucking very real reality that that could happen. So Republicans, we say this as Democrats. One, a neoliberal. Get your shit together. Oh, 
your shit together. I don't know what you were going to say. Sorry if I cut you yeah, off. That's but... what I was going to say. Like, get your fucking shit together. <laughs> get your fucking shit together. We love you, though. Yeah, we, I don't know if we go that far, but... Well, there are plenty of Republicans that I like. Yeah. Th- on a personal level. Yes. But politically, obviously, no. it's a different story. But please, get your just for the health of our fucking democracy. Yeah, please. Get your fucking shit together. Get the, your head off your ass. Support some policies that are popular with your voters. Mm-hmm. If you want to, you probably won't because Mitch McConnell said that he has devoted his life to 100% opposing Biden's uh, agenda. But how about you vote for the American Jobs Plan or the Family Plan? Family, American family thing. Just popular with GOP voters. Yes, just like just saying. Yeah, just not like activists, the, sure, but with voters. Yeah, I mean, look at the COVID thing. I was pretty popular, but you mm-hmm. said, but, but no, we need to focus on how Mr. Potato Head is now Potato Head, or that Dr. Seuss books that no one has ever heard of are not going to be there because of obvious racist crap. And to this point that I've been making, that is more of an activist thing. And that's not going to win elections. It's really not. Not. Just like you will criticize the Democratic Party if they just focus too much on race or like too much on social justice issues and they're too much of social justice wars. They're not going to win. Like, I can agree with you that being a social justice warrior party is not going to win the Democratic Party anything. So, too, is a cancel culture, conservative activist focused Republican Party not going to win anything. If you continue what you're doing, you will follow as our our dude that Morgan talked about says, just not going to go anywhere. Good old Orrin Hatch. Orrin Hatch of all people. Orrin Hatch of all people. But anyway, this has been an episode of Down Bad Politics. It was really fun. No, it was good. Yeah. No, I was gonna say it was it was good. We got I was gonna say we also kind of got heated, but that was mostly me, I feel. Yeah. We may do it for the Democrats. We may. I would be down to do it for the Democrats because that's gonna be I've put out a few spicy takes on who I on the front runners and why I think they're weak, and people right. have had some negative reaction to it. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be as extreme as the Republicans because, no. as you've seen across the world, the Democratic Party is the most competent left of center party in the world. Unlike a certain party that is across the aisles. The British the Labor Party. <laughs> the Labor Party. Regardless, this is... We're dragging on this ending too much. I have been... I am Morgan McIntyre, one of your co-hosts. And I am yours, the Karl Marx of social democracy, Matthew Barber. This has been the Down Bad Politics Podcast. Have a good night, y'all. You too. And a good morning and good afternoon.